1: luxury quality within reach go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com slash style
2: oh i love this eastbound and down that is my favorite <laughs> soul hey i'm ready <laughs> Right foot back <laughs>
0: begins with a u it ends with
3: Classic Raw review as the other Cultaholic lads contemplate whether SummerSlam will emanate from a beach, from a boat, from Bridlington, or from the the back of Vince's house, Maybe I don't know. We are here via our Iger Pro Power DeLorean contemplating which fancy location Monday Night Raw at the height of the new generation era will emanate from this week. Will it be Poughkeepsie? Will it be Utica? Will it be Backwater Nowhere? Ha ha! The possibilities are endless! And who be we? I be Fake Geordie, radio presenter without portfolio, former Cultaholic Heavyweight Champion Tom Campbell from Isolation Station 24601. I am here with the bear in the big blue barcade, the locked down head pen of Cultaholic Titan shrugged himself. If you were to offer the head pen of Cultaholic a pencil, chances are he would put that pencil into a local lockdown, basically meaning he would shove it up your bum. Because he needs a pen, because he gets it right every time. He is Justin Henry, and he is off of America.
2: Tom, this is a very somber episode of Monday Night Roll. It is? Well, yes, the thing that we were hoping to see at Survivor Series came to pass but unfortunately it was not meant to last. Oh mate. It is
3: a yeah. it is it is a tough a tough pill to take this particular episode.
2: Yes, it's um it bothered me 25 and a half years ago and it still bothers me now. This this is the turn for the worse.
3: You know what? We will lament on this particular thing. Uh, As we get into the episode So this, Mm -hmm. if you've not heard this before Is where Justin Henry Writer from Cultaholic Among other things Have you had a good week by the way Justin?
2: I have had a pretty good week Other than trying to dodge the humidity that Is starting to consume uh, The non-cool areas of the United States
3: How are you dodging humidity?
2: by, By laying in front of my air conditioner And not giving a damn otherwise That's nice
3: no, I, I think i think i don't know whether you can hear it. i have a fan on in this very room because the the uh the spare room slash the off the site b of cultaholic as it's now become uh just becomes a sweat box during a day like today the hottest day of the calendar year in the uk and yay, spoiler it's my only one Uh, so I I get it as as a fellow humidity dodger so whilst Justin is dodging humidity we are uh, chronologically critiquing thank you OSW Review every single episode of Monday Night Raw from its very beginning until its bitter end or one or both of our deaths Uh, we have just had Survivor Series to uh, 1994 Uh, just lamenting on Survivor Series 94 for a moment Justin was the show uh, as bad as you thought it was going to be
2: uh, it was actually slightly worse, because it was boring.
3: <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? it just, it's, it's a long show with only like five or six matches, but God, it done half-drag. It don't half-drag.
2: I wondered for a while what was the worst show for 94, whether it was Rumble or Survivor Series. Because I mean, mainly Event was the best show, obviously. Then I would probably say SummerSlam was second, uh, Taker or Taker or notwithstanding. I put King of the Ring third, in spite of, well, actually because of our Donovan surreal commentary. <laughs> but it had, it had enough good action on there to kind of justify it being a decent enough show. So it came down to Rumble and Survivor Series for worst of the year. And at least the Rumble had that great Quebecer's Hearts match, which that counts for something. Survivor Series had pretty much nothing of that quality. In fact, it had some stuff that they even detracted, including the, uh, including the god awful. Uh, Lawler's Team, the Team match, and the possibly worst ending to their bad guys Teamsters match. And it never really recovered.
3: It really didn't. Um, despite the, uh, the particular flavor of uh, that particular Survivor series, it is part of... An incredibly busy seven days in the life of the World Wrestling Federation. So the Monday before we had the final episode of Raw uh, that took us into Survivor Series. Survivor Series happened very strangely on a Wednesday uh, this week. So we had Survivor Series. You can listen back to myself, Justin and Matthew Gregg do uh, Talk along, walk along, watch along commentary uh, for Survivor Series. It was it was a stroll along, if nothing else. Uh, You can listen to that on the Cultaholic podcast feed right now. And then 24 hours removed from that episode, on that Survivor Series pay per view, we had a live event from Madison Square
2: Garden. No, no, uh, not 24 hours. 72 hours.
3: 72 hours. I shall I shall run up that again. 72 hours removed from Survivor Series. We had an event emanating from Madison Square Garden, seven thousand three hundred people there to watch a night that would actually go down in infamy. I've got the card in front of me. Justin, would you want to run through? Should we run through the card for that particular night?
2: Sure, I love a, I love a garden show, whether it's good or bad. There's something nostalgic about it.
3: There always is something special about a garden show. A garden show, and this one in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bushwhackers beat well done in the opener uh so well yeah. welcome to WWF. well done we haven't really seen them on tv that much if at all yet have we
2: no that's why we haven't quit yet
3: yeah <laughs> oh that time is coming uh aldo montoya was in action he beat quang this is a hell of a show already yeah.
2: just incredible versus savio vega and what was sadly not a mask versus mask match which the winner and loser both on mask
3: <laughs> no they would sadly keep their masks on for a little while longer uh, the Head Shrinkers, Fatu and Sione, beat the Executioners. Uh, executioner 1 and 2, off. Uh, King Kong Bundy and the British Bulldog, they fought to a double count-out. Two
2: big well, you got to protect both of them.
3: Yeah, you got to keep Bundy strong. Uh, we had a WWF Championship match next. More on that in a moment. That wasn't the main event. Uh, Intercontinental title was on the line, with Razor Ramon successfully defending against Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Mabel defeated Pierre from the Quebecers, mm-hmm. And in the main event the Undertaker finally got a piece of IRS and pretty soundly beat him to send everybody home happy. But the thing that everybody is talking well,
2: about well, 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 hang on well, hang on hang on. Before you get to that, I, I have to I have to read from this description oh, okay. of, of that of that match from Graham Calthon's History of WWE website, which is now Richard Land's history of the Boobie website. He says it says here, and I'm quoting verbatim the Undertaker pinned IRS with the tombstone in 806 6 after catching IRS in midair. I refuse to believe that.
3: <laughs>
2: How that would mid that was IRS... the air? Is the question I <laughs> want to know. Well, is there any other any other part of the air besides the mid part? I mean, George Carlin once pointed <laughs> that out. But IRS doing anything, you know, acrobatic, I, I, like even in video games when he comes off the top rope, I refuse to believe that it's realistic. No, I, unless
3: it was a cross body
2: <clears throat> iris is going for the spider walk and, and then sprung into the air in like a handspring and then taker called him
3: <laughs> i think that's what happened um i'm sure um the website question will have uh, some notes about not so much a lot of the other incidental matches in this particular show but match let's see why Match five from this particular night. It uh, lives in infamy. It was Bob Backlund walking into Madison Square Garden as WWF champion, the place where he lost that coveted belt back in the eighties. It felt right that he was returning as the WWF champion. He stood across from the challenger, was meant to be Bret the Hitman Hart, but still injured from Survivor Series, wasn't able to make it. So stepping in to place was the man that Jack Tunney deemed the top contender for the WWF Championship. That being Big Daddy Cool Diesel. The man who had had a a sensational breakup with Shawn Michaels just a couple of days before at Survivor Series. Consequently, uh, the tag team titles that he held being stripped from him as well. And it was in that match that Bob Backlund sized up Big Daddy Cool. The bell sounded. Boot to the guts. Jackknife powerbomb. One, two, three. In eight seconds, Big Daddy Cool Diesel becomes the World Wrestling Federation champion and becomes the man that will be known as the the captain, the leader of the new generation here on
2: in. Well, two things to note here. One, his... (coughs) History was made in another sense when Kevin Nash, via this victory, became the first man to win the Triple Crown within one calendar year, because <clears throat> he won the Intercontinental Belt in April and won the Tag Belt in August. So this is a, a a new feat that has never been done before.
0: Mm.
2: And uh, something that I noticed a long time ago about about how this was handled, I don't think is um, is commonly discussed, but I'm going to point it out here. If you go back a decade ago, when uh, when um, when Hogan became the you know, the face of the company, when he beat the Iron Sheik for the title, consider this. For that to happen, a valiant babyface champion lost his world title, in this case Bob Backlund, lost his world title via a towel-related stoppage to a heel champion who transitioned the belt Onto the new, onto the face of the new generation at Madison Square Garden, that being Hulk Hogan, via the Iron Cheek. Eleven years later, a valiant babyface champion loses the belt via a tower related stoppage, Bret Hart, to a, to a heel champion, Bob Backlund, who transitions the belt at Madison Square Garden to the face of new generation, Diesel.
3: Wow, that had they, to be coincidental.
2: No, that I think mean, I think that was design. Oh wow. That's they were beautiful. going for the same. They were going for the same parallel, but they never really like expounded on it. And I'm, I'm not sure anyone really noticed other than the whole. Oh, they're trying to make Diesel and the Hogan, which I mean, that was overt. Yeah. Yes, that was.
3: That's that was yeah. never even acknowledged. I don't think on TV. That's quite a cool little storyline. Well, they're
2: not going to say. Well, they're not going to say, "Hey, Diesel's the next Hogan." When uh, when crowds ah, yeah, are down that's and true. you you don't want the you know you don't want that comparison to be so open.
3: You don't want to remind them of Hogan. Yeah,
2: yeah, you, you, you don't want to show the, the, the big crowds, Pontiac Silverdome, all that stuff. And, and, and here's these are working at the, um, you know, at, at the Frog Balls Armory in, you know, Backwoods, Mississippi or something.
3: That's true, actually. Uh, that's that's a great observation. Great observation. Love that. Dave Meltzer mm-hmm. made some observations on like this, too, from the rest uh, of observer.
2: Uh, I, um, sure, uh, did.
3: <laughs> you sure did, Dave. I'm going to quote this for you. Um diesel kevin nash became the latest attempt to recreate a hulk hogan character by capturing the wwf title from bob Backlund in just eight seconds with a jackknife on the 26th of 11th in madison square garden the title switch came three days after survivor series where bob had won the title from diesel from brum Bret hart and diesel had turned babyface on partner Shawn michaels the quickie title change was largely given away to anyone who could read between the lines on television on saturday both nationally and locally in the new york market on us Network's WWF Mania show, it was announced there would be a title match between Backland and Diesel, replacing the injured Bret Hart at the Garden, and that the WWF would open its 900 number for the live commentary of the match, starting at 9.30pm Eastern Time. In the New York market, the title change was telegraphed even deeper by announcing that the match was no DQ, no count-out, and no submissions, thereby rendering Backland Backlund's chicken wing useless. Backlund also did an interview for the New York market, complaining he had trained to wrestle Bret Hart and not Diesel. At the Garden before a crowd estimated at 7,300, announcer Howard Finkel uh, made the announcement of the match but stated in a tease that it would be a non-title match and then exuberantly corrected himself after a supposed change of plans given to him by agent René Goulet, aka Wurzel. Uh, Earlier in the show, Backlund did a live interview to a chorus of heavy boos claiming that he'd be a much better moral leader than Bret Hart while fans chanted for both Hart and and diesel the match itself was short as it needed to be because of who was in there with all the fireworks adding to the huge crowd reaction to the title change later in the show diesel came out to thank the fans amid another barrage of fireworks and he was called the leader of the new generation on monday night raw live on the 28th of november the show we're talking about today
2: boy they're really pushing this like extremely hard aren't they they are a little
3: bit. You you seemed quite perplexed about the no submissions element of the match. So,
2: I, I mean, it makes no sense from the standpoint of, all right, let's say Backlund breaks Diesel's arm, and Backlund puts him in a chicken wing, and Diesel like, I can't take it anymore. I give up. Like, I can't do anything about it. It's, it's, that's not how this works. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's like you can't stop the match because it's, it's like if you submit, it's over. <laughs> Except, for, one exception is you know last minute standing match or a match that the ends with like cage match ladder match whatever the ends with a different kind of finish but if, if you're going for an actual fall here then why would submissions be outlawed it's a good question
3: and uh, I guess it's that thing of just sort of really hammering home that this is Diesel's night and you, which, which is a weird thing. that You could have still done all that without having to put that caveat in there. It's WWE tend to have a history and that's something they do still today of really beating a drum very heavily when they don't really need to.
2: Yeah, and quick side note, I'm going through this Garden Card real fast and I noticed that Head Executioners match, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming is just Barbarian of Thought too, versus Gill and Hardy on their masks. It went almost 13 minutes. Wow. It was the third longest match of the show. Why give them? Of all the matches on there, it's funny Uh, how uh, you uh. give them the match. Correction. Second longest match of the show behind Jarrett and Razor.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous.
2: I, I wish I could have been at this show just to see what it was like. It sounds amazing.
3: Can you are you aware of why Bob Backlund was angry after the show?
2: In real life or
3: in in real life? I do not know. So this comes from the something to wrestle with. Sorry, something to wrestle with Bruce Bridger. Uh, Bruce shed a little light on this particular night. Uh, and the subsequent house show tours, which saw Diesel versus Backlund a few more times, uh, but those matches all ended with Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett running out and subsequently getting jackknife power bombs to send the fans home happy. This happened because Bob Backlund. Following taking a jackhammer on the night in Madison Jack. Square Garden, sorry, jackknife or Knight, Jack not jackhammer. that's the
2: one. <laughs> that, that, that'd be amazing.
3: Oh Christ, could you imagine? That'd be that'd be stunning. many years before,
2: uh, Jack. Diesel, Knife. diesel. <laughs>
3: <laughs> then, then Backlund hit a spear. Uh, oh yes, please. Um, so, if I if I've said jackhammer, assume I said jackknife. Let's not be fools about this. Not you, Justin. Mm. You listening? Um, (laughs) Owen and Jeff would get uh, battered with jackknives. This is because Backland took the jackknife at Madison Square Garden, landed badly, went to Vince and said, I ain't taking one of them again. No, absolutely not. Just point blank refused to take another jackknife powerbomb. But Vince was adamant that, no, this is Diesel's finisher. We need to get this over. But we've got this run with Backland. So that was the workaround, sending Owen and Jarrett out to save Bob back. But in in truth, they were there, so the crowd could see these this amazing feat of strength from Diesel hitting them with the power bomb.
2: Should have sent Bundy in there.
3: <laughs> that would have been incredible.
2: Come on, Hogan slammed Andre. And you're the new Hogan, so come on, get him up there.
3: <laughs> come on, call him Bundy the Bundy the Andre. Get amongst it. Um, <laughs> First time round, because I wasn't a fan at this point, I'd fallen off the uh, off the radar at this point. What was your feelings first time round to Diesel becoming the leader of the new generation, Justin?
2: I really didn't even see it coming. I, I found out on a, like that Sunday morning because they announced it on Action Zone. I wasn't watching. My brother came in and told me. I'm, 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 I'm like, because I didn't even know that he had turned face at that point. Like, like I knew him and Sean had the falling out, but it was all so soon, and I hadn't like really processed it. I was too busy still digesting Thanksgiving dinner from three days earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, like wait, he's the champion? That, that doesn't make any sense. But yeah, it was just weird, because here's Diesel a coming out on a roll, we'll see in a little bit with the belt. So it's like, you know, you you, gotta, you better get used to it, because this is, this is where they're going with it. And it all just seemed so sudden and soon.
3: It just, yeah, you're right. It just seemed very strange to like to and I'm look this is me looking back at it it's the fact that on monday night raw like so like so less than seven days ago you you had diesel in there with Shawn michaels and and there was nothing that gave you that indicator that maybe diesel's about to get a big old push here you never got that vibe at all
2: yeah it's it's just you know strike while the iron is um is vaguely red i guess
3: and that they did and uh, this brings us to um tonight's episode of raw but before we get into tonight's episode of raw um just to just to to to, to bring it down a touch i think it's worth noting because we always like to look at the entire wrestling scene at this point and this is a guy who maybe wasn't a was not a part of wwf but was still a really mm-hmm. important part of the wrestling landscape you know who i'm going to start talking about
2: don't you justin uh yes i believe you're gonna i believe this will be the death of one art bar
3: indeed. Uh, November 23rd, 1994 Art Bar, aka Love Machine passed away, apparently in his sleep, uh, the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, this comes from the Wrestling Observer. Art Bar, after getting his Monday paycheck, flew back from Mexico City on Tuesday to pick up his five-year-old son, Dexter, who spent the weekend with his mother uh, The next day, his mother tried to call him throughout the day. When there was continually no answer, she drove to the house. Uh, between 4 and 5pm, she knocked on the door and there was no answer. She went to the bedroom window to sort- see art and dexter both asleep on the waterbed she uh p- and pounded on the window which woke dexter up who let her in Uh she then noticed that uh, art wasn't in a good way and she couldn't wake him up, so she dialed 911, but when medical teams arrived, they pronounced him dead, believing he had been dead anywhere from 6 to 24 hours. Lane County Coroner Frank Ratty couldn't determine a cause of death following an autopsy um, that wasn't complete until the following Monday, although it was heavily reported in the Mexican and Spanish language media the day after his death that the cause was a brain aneurysm, which was one of the several first day theories. Uh, the autopsy ruled that out. Also ruled out was foul play a ring injury or any lingering effects from a ring injury there was no trauma to the body no internal organ issues or deficiencies no sign of a heart attack organ damage internal bleeding or stroke or cancer nothing visually obvious he had been taking some sleeping pills the night before to help him sleep Uh, he'd had some halcyons and possibly some valium uh, although there was no indication that this was an overdose either this was a very strange death that we will surely hear more about as time goes on uh, Conan comments on the death of Art Bar saying he was very high on life Uh, They met back in 1990. Uh, It was uh, it was they they opened the door for him to come into Mexico with EMLL the following year and had come to refer to him in recent months as as our Ric Flair, which is an amazing honor for love machine. He'd been given a second opportunity, says Conan, in wrestling and had made the most of it. He just came off as a he just came off a five star match on a pay-per-view that hadn't even hit its potential. This is uh, this is just just terrible news. Funeral set for the thirtieth of November. Um, what are your thoughts, memories of uh, this particular time, and, and and of course of
2: Art Bar? I didn't know a whole lot about Art Bar before his passing, except that he had a, had a brief run in WCW as the Juicer, which was which, which was a play on Beetlejuice. He had the face pain and like the uh, and the whole rigmarole of of, of shooting. It, it was like a very fantastical base gimmick, but he didn't really not really last very long. He did have some legal issues at the time that really did cloud his career in a negative way. I won't go into it here, but it it's a very sordid and somewhat disturbing story. But the but the positives of Art Bar were that he was a tremendous performer. He was a tag team partner of Eddie Guerrero's. They were known as Los Gringos Locos, and they were basically like the top heels of AAA at the time. They and they had and they had just come off that that pay per view match against um, El Hijo del Santo and Octagon in the double mask versus double hair match two out of three falls that, that, that I know for sure it's on one of Eddie's DVDs it is one of the best tag team matches I've ever seen it's just so heated Bar and Guerrero do everything they can to get the crowd to hate them they were I know this, I know this is pretty uh, bad but it was done for heel heat they would mock the fans in Mexico or Mexico or fans of Mexican descent by by mock swimming with their arms I mean you know, to, like doing the um, backstroke and the end of forward stroke like you know like border jumping right. they were like, taunting them with that and that was part of their shtick and uh, I just realized they were associates with a, with a Louis when within 11 years all three of them would be gone that's really morbid
3: gosh that really is but as you, as you said there I think that um, it's one thing to lament on a passing but it's another to celebrate it and mm. I think that if you are if you do want to find out more about Love Machine Art Bar uh, that match uh, Eddie Guerrero with uh, with with Eddie Guerrero at AAA when Worlds Collide that tag team match five star match is it on the network? Hmm. I don't think it is, is it?
2: I I don't think it is unless it's unless it's like a hidden gem or some more like Eddie's collections or whatever because otherwise when Worlds Collide is not on there, I wish it was because because God I watched the hell out of that show if it was on there it was it was a transcendent night for pro wrestling it it was. It was a Triple A show in California that drew a really good crowd, had really great matches, and it proved that something outside of the whole sports entertainment spectacle could do good in the United States. So it, it was kind of, um, it was kind of like you know like a switch being flipped moment where you, you realize you know hey and there is more to it than the whole Hulkamania style and there's it it can thrive in the United States, and our bar was part of that revolution and in fact him and eddie were going to come to ecw at one point as a tag team which i mean that would i mean eddie ended up coming alone after art died and he and he started using the frog splash as a tribute to art which is why he did the move because that was art's finisher and eddie maintains his book to art the Art's version was way better than his so take that for what it's worth uh that match in
3: itself is available on youtube I've just had a quick check to see if it's there and it is in its entirety you can watch it on YouTube uh, there's That's a 27 good. it's a 27 minute video file and it is 100% worth your time to watch
2: and if you do it and if you just look like those primitive things called DVDs if you do have um Eddie's Cheating Death Stealing Life DVD it's definitely on there
3: amazing amazing uh, we, we love and remember the life and times of Art Bar who left us in this particular week in wrestling it was also in this particular week that we had Monday Night Raw Let's crack on with Raw this week. Justin, where and when are we for Monday Night Raw this week, sir?
2: Well, there are definitely no matches of um, that caliber on this show. Let's put it what? that way. Surely not. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know. I'm, a, I'm as stunned as you are. Uh, it is Monday, November twenty eighth, 1994. We are live-ish from the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. Good building, but we're heading into dark times.
0: We really Wait till are you see
2: new the York. arena for the next... What do you see the arena for the next set of tapings?
0: <laughs> <I> <laughs>
2: so, shouldn't laugh. <laughs> um, basically, it's like it, It's basically if it, the performance center had um had, had the production value of your high school drama club.
3: God, oh, this is good times. This is good times. So, uh, talk us through this week's episode of Monday Night Raw, my friend.
2: Well, we get these stills from survivor series because back then we couldn't show a video what well, actually say so I so that so think they avoid showing a video on, on 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 the TV show if you can um yeah, as encouragement to buy the replay or whatever it's Backland's triumph you get diesel's face turn footage they splice it all together diesel wins the belt we get to watch this cool headbang celebration when he beats backland where he he does like this weird squat and then it just like like throttles his head back and forth like he's a, like he's um war horse or something. And Vince Vince declares, Big Daddy Cole became the leader of the new World Wrestling Federation generation.
3: He was really, really, like, pushing that full-on gravelly Vince voice to get us started.
2: (laughs) They're really, uh, making some assumptions here. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you walk up to a demo car at a supermarket, you know, are like, putting out free samples and stuff, and it's and as you say, oh, that looks pretty good. Before you even finish the sentence, the, the person who's cutting the food up is just shoving it in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> eat, it, it eat this! <laughs> you like, you only had time to like process what you're looking at, what it could be, what it could taste like. No, have it all. <laughs> because you got to remember that like, watching,
3: like, you wouldn't have had unless you had like friends who who lived in New York or who were at the show
2: or whatever. This wouldn't have been like. <laughs> Worldwide news by this point. This is like an arranged marriage that just happened overnight. Yeah,
3: it's it just it's so sudden, and you know it's not unlike uh, a local lockdown in the UK in the sense that it comes out of nowhere. No one expects it. They're very vague on exactly what is happening, and we're just sort of told to crack on with it.
2: <laughs> Nobody expects the diesel inquisition.
3: <laughs> Nobody did expect the diesel inquisition. <laughs>
2: Now I see Kevin Nash that song. John?
3: Here he goes. John! <laughs> John! John is on COVID. Nash Amada. Look after him. Buy John coffees.
2: <laughs> Wait, John, joining you New Day when did this happen?
3: <laughs> yes. John, could you please also have yourself as part of the New Day? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. John John Bobby does one hell of a Marlon Brando impression as he demonstrated on Twitter last week. Oh,
3: he does, doesn't he? It's uncanny. <laughs> it's like Brando was in the room. God love you at John Eileen <laughs> on Twitter.
2: Colonel Kurtz Photoshop master.
0: <laughs>
2: so we got Vincent. We have Vincent Lawler on commentary this week. Vince has the audacity to bring up that match from last week involving the clowns and the and the Kings, and so just just put it past us. This week we have Owen Hart in action. We have a Diesel interview. We have Adam Bomb versus IRS, which Vince goes, "What a matchup!" Like he's trying to convince himself.
3: <laughs> of all the stuff he lists in that opening bit, he is so excited about the one bit I am the least bothered about.
2: <laughs> it's well, I mean, that's our future match on, on this live show coming out of Survivor Series. <laughs> hey, say, say one thing about Vince—he knew his audience. He really did. He really does.
3: <laughs> I know.
2: You don't know what you like. I know what you like. I've got my finger on your pulse. That's a coffee table. Oh, <laughs> It's a pulse to me.
3: <laughs>
2: uh, so we start off with what's probably the best match of the show, actually. Owen Hart versus John Paul. Our old friend John Paul.
3: John's great here.
2: Underrated of talent John Paul, who seemed to have a lot of abilities, but just they never did anything with him besides make him lose to Own Hart and Rick Martell a lot. That's how long John Paul's been around. He was here when freaking Rick Martell was wrestling for oh, the company. He's
3: been here forever, Mission, like, forever hasn't he? ago. He's been here forever. And he's just always good. Like every time he's in the ring, like he's he's crisp. <laughs> he's he he looks fresh. Like it's it's almost the point where you go. Was there ever the conversation about about John Paul being more than just already in the ring John Paul?
2: He, he could have been Aldo Montoya. Yeah,
3: he could have been. You he, he could have been, and he would have done it fine. But yeah. I, I guess, I guess, yeah, they their 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 one jobber push per year quota has been filled by uh, the pushing of PJ Walker.
2: Well, there's always next year for um, Aldo Paul Toya.
3: No, it's Barry next year. It's Horowitz At, next that's year.
2: That's true, yes. And in the 90... You're right, you're right. 96, who was Who was the jobber du jour that got the push? Anybody like to Hunter Hurst
3: Helmsley, if I remember correctly.
2: <laughs> uh, that's right, well, he for five straight months, but there's a story behind that.
3: There is indeed. I
2: noticed Owen... I know Owen enters alone here. No Neidhart.
3: Yeah, I tried to look up this, and I don't think Neidhart's done. At least oh, if, no. he, if he is, he's not done yet.
2: Yeah, he's... We're getting closer, though. We are getting closer.
3: I think, yeah, the bloom is off the rose with the idea of bringing Neidhart in. I think they've, at this point, realized he has actually got a lot to offer our company right now.
2: No, and considering who they're keeping around, that's really saying a lot. Mm-hmm. Owen's got the towel with him. So him, he and Breastfeed has gone over a year now.
3: It has, isn't it? They just kept it ticking over. And and do you know what? There's there's worse feuds to to keep ticking over.
2: I gotta say, uh, I love those shadow projections they put on the map for the wrestlers as part of the uh, production. Because Owens is the, Owens is the, is the playing card version of him, as the King of Hearts. That was a nice touch.
3: I love that. I like I like that a lot. Mm.
2: It's nice wrestling in this match as I realized that Jean-Paul has late career Tracy Smothers hair. Which is a nice look, actually. Hope Tracy's doing well these days. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah last last I heard, he was uh, he was not in a bad way, but not in a great way, but he was on the mend.
2: Well, that's good. Hopefully Tracy keeps getting better. Uh, so Brett calls in during this match. Because if there's one thing that will... That will electrify a show. It's Bret Hart on the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> he um he says he's sore. He has some stretched ligaments, but he'll return around the new year. He should have added until then. I'm sure business won't tank with Nash on top.
0: <laughs>
2: but un- but unfortunately, they don't do that. He doesn't say that. Oh yeah, it would have
3: been too. It would have been too funny. It would have been a line that would have been clipped forever.
2: <laughs> and then Bret actually plugs the encore of Survivor Series. Because I was like, well, I haven't seen what Owen did to me yet, but I'm going to watch it uh, tomorrow night on, on on the encore to see fully what Owen's actions. That's a savvy yet ham-handed plug at the same time.
3: <laughs> it really is.
2: I bet he'd be expected to pay for it at this point as well. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, I wish there was a network where you could just watch it for free the next day since you're already paying for the service.
3: Yeah, actually, yeah, the, the a... next time we'd have these this kind of ham-fisted type of plugs would be Triple H coming out going nine ninety nine on episodes of Monday Night Raw in the future.
2: Oh, yeah. That's all this company knows is ham-handed, but I guess that's part of its charm. Brett says you got it. Get back on your horse and ride on. It's like something Adam Page would say.
3: It's a Lonesome Dove reference, isn't
2: it? I thought you were just to the fact that uh, Adam Page would one day be a future wrestling star for AEW.
3: I think it was that. I think it's more likely to be that than a Lonesome Dove reference.
2: I mean, Hitman, Hangman, they're kindred spirits.
3: Hit, hang, yes. (laughs) That's very true. I'm just thinking Adam Page would have been good in Lonesome Dove.
2: I I actually watched some of those Lonesome Dove clips recently on YouTube, because I knew for years he was on that show, but I was too young to like you know be into like a western or whatever mm-hmm. so I, I never saw it in its time so i'm like oh yeah brett did that let me see if it's on youtube anywhere And there's a whole reel someone put up a brett scenes from lonesome dove and uh oh there's something <laughs> like like i'm a sandra like hogan and no holds barred bad but it's um it's very directive video acting Bret Hart will never be confused with Daniel Day-Lewis, let's put it that way.
3: No. Very, very, very much not likely.
2: That bitch, my left foot.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so, um... So, Paul makes a comeback. and gets gets huge cheers from this still-hot crowd. Because it's still very early in this taping, obviously. Brett quotes General MacArthur at the end, saying, saying, I shall return, which Vince calls Vince the laugh for some reason.
3: Yeah, and then Vince goes, ah, Bret Hart in high spirits. He sounded miserable on this call. Like, he sounded, I don't know, I just don't know, I wonder whether it is that Bret Hart just doesn't translate well on phone calls. Because he just sounded fed up here. I don't, i didn't get the, the vibe that Bret was in high spirits at all.
2: We well, got to understand, um, well, Brett's a very dour person. When, 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 like even when he's happy, because that's that, how he always came off in promos. Hmm. And, and plus, it, it is late November in Canada, and, and, there's, and there's no calls for celebration at that point anyway. Another long Calgary winter coming.
0: <laughs>
2: so Owen wins via the sharpshooter, and then Owen throws a towel on him afterwards, which is kind of funny.
3: That was a good little touch. I don't want this to be part of the uh, the, the shtick for Owen going forward.
2: I, I mean, it's not as funny as when you put, put the glasses on somebody and then snap them back. It's, not, it's pretty funny nonetheless. <laughs> it's those little touches that make it. It really is. So we get this plug for the Encore Survivor Series, which is apparently, according to the voiceover, the most surprising Survivor Series ever.
3: I mean, you can't call it the best. You can't call it the most exciting. But you have to use some sort of positive uh, affirmation for it. So, I guess surprising. I guess I wasn't expecting Martha to throw the towel in. So, that is technically a surprise. Or Helen. Why do I keep getting Martha and Helen mixed up? (laughs) That would be a nightmare on the wedding night. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, easy, Tiger. I wasn't expecting... Bundy to play to pin Lex Luger clean as a whistle <laughs> well, I guess that's surprising too.
2: It certainly is it's, uh I think the most surprising part is that I actually ordered the show in nineteen ninety four. No, I was actually looking forward to it. <laughs> what I thought was interesting about this about this plug for the encore is that all the commentary sound bites are from Monsoon, none from Vince. It's as if he's distancing himself from the show.
3: He's stepping away, isn't he? He's just, he's disappearing mm. from that altogether.
2: Here, Gino, you fall on this sword.
3: <laughs> will you fall on this
2: sword? Well, listen, will you be serious. I'm missing it at this point.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's missing that element, isn't it? It's its like if you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, it's not—it's ha- having one of those major components missing and being replaced with Vince McMahon.
2: Mm. Yes. Yeah, I, I will say though it is interesting that this past Survivor Series was the first pay per view in company history that neither Hogan nor Savage appeared on.
3: Is it really? Yeah, I suppose it would. Yeah. Either. Oh gosh, that's true. That's a. It really
2: bit. is. It really is a new generation, is it
0: not?
2: <laughs> so, so speaking of new generation, Adam Bomb versus IRS.
3: Ah, oh, this yeah. screams new generation.
2: We we kick off with something appropriate for this time, which is Vince wishing Randy Newman a happy birthday. <laughs> Clearly the bar is set very low here for witticism. Although Vince thinking Conway to do, um... I mean, Newman to do a Rob Conway's theme later on, or something close to it. Do they? Well, no, it's just, um... Remember Rob Conway's theme, that "Just Look at Me" song? Yeah, just ain't nice sight to see. <laughs> it's God. just like the ever. It's just like the old Randy Newman joke from Family Guy. It is, just isn't it? Everything he sees. Uh, 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 Sending the ring. He's carrying the briefcase. It's like that kind of. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I never really thought that Rob Conway's music is very Randy Newman.
2: <laughs> that's how I looked at it. <laughs> so Iris comes out and he's got DiBiase with him, but it's not just those two. No, they have a third man with them, and it's not Hogan joining the NWO. It is a druid.
3: Yeah. So again, did a bit of research, tried to find the, uh, the identity of this druid. And, uh, i I don't know the identity of this one. I know that down the line the druid will be played by Jimmy Del Rey at one point.
2: What? Well, because why did the druid start rubbing himself and, and gyrating in front of all the fans?
3: <laughs> I think that's. I think that was the
2: one. That was the night.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you have a man in suspenders and a tie. You have a man in a tuxedo tracksuit, and you have a druid. <laughs> it's a good look, isn't it? It's like the weirdest group of Batman villains ever. <laughs> I can't... Although oh, Luger's driving the Batman bill be something. And the seatbelt's too tight, Billy! Anyway. <laughs> Vince informs us that is taking a dirt nap. Sounds a little callous. This is, this is one hip crowd because we actually get the old school Erwin chant.
3: Yeah, I like that. Nice to see a return to that one. Mm.
2: There's actually life in this crowd for a little bit. They,
3: they, they're they not a bad crowd tonight. In fact, there's a bit that I forgot to mention during the Owen Hart John Paul match, whereby um, as Brett was on the phone, as if the crowd knew, the crowd were chanting, We Want Brett. Which was beautifully
2: timed. hmm I just like yeah, that. Yeah, that was definitely uh, fortuitous. <laughs> yeah, this, this crowd is hot, of course. You know, by hour three, when we get to uh, the final show of this taping, I'm sure it won't be so uh, so nuclear. Bomb hits his slingshot clothesline earlier in the match, which is just done as like, a regular move and not his finish. That's how you know he's going nowhere. Yeah, it's, it does. It just this this seems to drag this match a little bit. But the most, but the most incredible part of this match is when Bomb hits a high cross body, goes for the cover. One, two. Does Iris kick out? Does he get pinned? We don't know because we've gone the commercial break.
0: <laughs>
2: on the on the count of two, one, two, and it feeds into some ad for dry next or something. <laughs> Live TV, it's a bitch really is fortunately we do have a replay of it when we return it turns out iris did kick out because the match is still going iris takes i don't know why zero. they choose
3: the, the, the way they choose the matches that go along is peculiar you mentioned yourself the the longest match at the at msg was shrinkers and executioners and then the longest match tonight is this one i, I guess it's the one which they deem to be a star-studded match
2: what was it going to be, Luger versus Bert Centino? going yeah, fifteen that's, minutes.
3: That's true. It wasn't really. It was. A, it was Slim Pickens this particular week.
2: <laughs> so, so it rode a bomb from from a uh, airplane to the ground. You said Slim Pickens. Hey, there you go. <laughs> See, Doctor Strange love reference. Thought we'd drop that John, in there. <laughs> John, I want Vince riding the bomb out of the plane. <laughs> John, I want
3: Vince riding Adam Bomb out of the plane.
2: Yes, yes, that's that's even, that's even more. <laughs> <laughs> how I learned to stop worrying and push Adam Bomb
0: <laughs>
2: Dr. Vince Love <laughs> so Bomb makes a comeback it has no heat whatsoever this crowd's finally had enough he goes to the top rope Druid shoves him off Irish with a leg drop to the back of the head and that's the finish even Vince was surprised by this finish
3: just because it just seems so... Just...
2: Meh. I think Bomb in full pin-me-pay-me mode here.
3: He was just like, get in, get out, get it done. It very much felt like a half-hearted, half-witted effort.
2: Adam Bomb poses for trading card photo. <laughs> so after the match, Bomb is attacked by this bizarre trio of, uh, of Batman villains, as we said. And then Luger makes a save to a moderate response. Like very lukewarm, tepid response for Lex coming out here. Yeah, well he's
3: well I'm not surprised. He's just been treated so badly. Like and 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 I'm not talking about the Lex Express where he was given everything and just didn't care. And it was just the fact that a week before a week less than a week ago, Survivor series, he's being pinned by Bundy, clean as a whistle.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he's just he makes a big comeback. He pins the Tonka. He's gonna to pull us off. i right from Bundy. <laughs> it's just such strange
3: booking where you you've got this guy who is defying the odds, only to have him not defy the odds.
2: It's it's the most half-assed version of Ro- of the Roman push ever.
3: It's like right, for example, right Survivor Series '03. Let's spin forward. Uh, the the Survivor Series match: Team Austin versus Team Bischoff, and it comes down to Shawn Michaels. Randy Orton and Chris Jericho and Christian, and it's that survival of Shawn Michaels. Like, like the the life is ebbing away from him, but he's just hanging in there and hanging in there. Oh my god! Even thinking about it, it's great. But it's but it's Batista who turns up and power bombs b- the Jesus out of Shawn Michaels. That is what finishes him off. So you go. So while Shawn Michaels doesn't achieve, doesn't doesn't finish off the team, doesn't win the match. It's not out of for. It's not for one to try in. Like he gave it his all, but it was other shenanigans. Like had you had Luger in that match, fighting against the odds, but then had somebody else come out and attack him, say Tatanka hits him with a weapon or something. You'd have that vibe of, oh, Luger was screwed. But it was just a case of he just ran out of steam, just got pinned. Done.
2: Maybe maybe the match is supposed to keep going, but then Luger just says, you know what, I've done enough.
3: <laughs>
2: <It's> like, <clears throat> yeah, whatever. Bundy, I'm effed.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: Bundy, I'm effed! I don't know!
2: <laughs> you have to carry the match. We're going to the finish. Sounds good.
3: <laughs>
2: so. Speaking of American heroes, but this one actually is American hero Chuck Norris. We get stills of him. Yes, with some, with some great background music here. Very intrepid, very uh, rustic old west. Even in still form, he's animated Chuck Norris.
3: I want to see. I want to see Chuck Norris wrestle. That's what they've made me think.
2: Him, him versus Haku? What twenty hour draw? <laughs>
3: Think about it, right? Think about it. Mm. Main mm-hmm. event of WrestleMania 11 coming up is a wrestler versus a non-wrestler. Would you mm-hmm. have been mad if it had been Bam Bam Bigelow versus Chuck Norris?
2: Well, during the angle on Bigelow show, me, would have broke both forearms.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that would have been worth the WrestleMania 11 on mm. its on that alone.
2: <laughs> Chuck Norris doesn't sell. <laughs> So this next match is, is good for my heart here because it's a battle of two ECW legends, Bob Holly and Tony DeVito. Oh man, Bob Sparkplug Holly. He's now Sparkplug Holly.
3: He's gone to Vince McMahon and said, "Don't, I don't want to be Thurman Plug. It's a crap <laughs> name." And Vince, to his, in all his fairness, has gone, "All right, what do you want to be?" And then he picked well, Bob Holly.
2: Well, keep in mind, Bob probably had his fist balled up when he said it.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Vince's head against the wall.
2: Might have <laughs> been. We could talk One about It wouldn't me. <laughs> See, we came to an agreement. I said I want to be Bob Holly, and he wanted to live. So eventually we came to, a, we came to an understanding.
3: <laughs> I like Thurman Plug, and angry Bob Holly like Bob Holly. So we compromised, and he's <laughs> now Bob Holly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a hell of a negotiation. <laughs> Bob Holly should be my agent.
3: More than likely, he definitely <laughs> should be.
2: I want five million a year. Vincent, they're going to pay me five million a year. All right, let me get let me get my agent in here, and Bob Holly. All of a sudden, I own the company. It's funny how that works. <laughs> so uh, we learned during this match that Bob's going to be in a race this weekend. Called the Snowball Derby,
3: or is uh, it was called, the the Powerpuff Derby.
2: Pretty sure that's not how that works.
3: <laughs> that was what Jerry Lawler called it.
2: Oh yes, well Lawler's making the obvious joke. Although he did, he did make me laugh during the um, Owen Hart John Paul, wasn't actually it, one of the first two matches. He made he made a joke about I think it was like IRS like buying toys for kids or, or buying kids batteries for Christmas and saying toys not included. That was kind of funny, actually.
3: That was good. I like that a lot.
2: Well, the Snowball Derby, I did some research on this because I'd, I'd never even heard of this race. It's um, apparently, apparently it's been run every year since 1968. And apparently in 1994, for the first time ever, a woman won the race. Oh. A woman named Tammy Jo Kirk. So the, the race was least historic for that reason. Well, there you go. I can't find any info on how Bob Holly finished that race.
3: No, I, I little look, and, obviously, he's into his cars and all that stuff, but, uh, no, no news on how he did.
2: I'm, I'm going to assume not that well. I'm just making an assumption. I could be totally wrong. He, he may have come in second for all we know.
3: Uh, let's just assume he won just in case he's listening.
2: Yes. Sorry, Bob. Um, so, for this match, so we get uh, Holly hitting the best dropkick in the business, or one of the best dropkicks in the business. It's a decent little match. The so video gets his offense in. Vince cautions other drivers to make him Bob off Holly angry during. It. So, apparently, there is some creeds to that story about Bob demanding a name change of Vince. Okay, so yes, sir. It's like, I, want, I want the world title. If, if he would just done that, he could have gotten it. That's, yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> Mike's just come off. I can't. There we
2: go. <laughs> i have had a mic malfunction.
3: It, I think that was the spirit of Bob Ollie doing that.
2: Yes. Bob took a whack at your mic.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, Holly takes over at the end, hits a diving clothesline for the finish. Just a typical squash to put Bob over and to plug a race.
3: Yeah, that was, it was, I mean, I like it. I like the fact that they are pushing the, the race that Bob Holly is in.
2: I mean, they kind of should do that. It, if you're going the whole race car driver gimmick, then you might want to plug the fact that he actually does, you know, race his car once in a while. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We have a debut vignette for a character who will be on WFTV for the next oh, three and a half years, roughly. Henry Orpheus Godwin, or just Henry Godwin, or if you prefer, hog. You get it? Because pigs. Because you see, he's a hog farmer from Bitters, Arkansas. And this is made evident by his vignette, which features a pigsty, a bunch of, pi- bunch of little pigs running around. And in his big, gruff, southern accent, he tells us, he's the ugliest, meanest, nastiest hog of all. (laughs) And when I get to the WWF, I'm going to be in hog heaven. (laughs) Now, Bitters, Arkansas Arkansas
3: isn't a real place. It it isn't? Because I Google Bitters, Arkansas, and all I get is links to Henry Godwin. (laughs) (laughs) So unless he's the only person that lives in Bitters, Arkansas, I don't know what to tell you.
2: It's an unincorporated territory in parts unknown county. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just what is Vince's obsession with hillbillies? And I never got it. There's always, there's always some sort of, there's always some farmer. There's always some rural blue-collar guy hanging around because Vince seems to have this infatuation but like Plowboy Wilbur and Haystacks Calhoun and Hillbilly Jim there's always gotta be something
3: he's just very keen to to, to express I guess whether it's a, a dig on the audience whether he thinks that the that, that Hillbillies will embrace the product more I don't know <laughs>
2: Maybe there's a commentary on the how he feels the IQ of the audience goes. Like, like here, here's your spiritual hero.
3: <laughs> it could very well have been that.
2: Guy wears bib overalls to, to, to jury duty.
3: <laughs> Would you like some details on Henry O. Godwin?
2: I suppose you're going to tell me anyway.
3: I'm going to tell you anyway, friends. Uh, this is, of course, <laughs> my guess. Mark Canterbury, who <clears throat> will have a good run in WWF, as you have alluded to. He trained under George South and the Italian Stallion. I bet Stallion wasn't tapping him up for money to be dropped uh, off of the venue
2: i wouldn't mess with henry godwin
3: absolutely not uh before debuting he debuted in 1989 under the name me mark canterbury which sounds a bit like me mm. mark Callis, which i like uh he very mm. quickly formed a tag team with a man that would become a pretty much lifelong wrestling friend uh dennis knight who was under the name tech slazzinger as the turn mm. of the decade uh, in october 92 they started with wc dub uh with canterbury becoming shanghai pierce
2: under a mask, yes.
3: Mm-hmm. Dusty actually suggested the mask because Canterbury, <laughs> according to Dusty, is too good looking to be a heel.
2: What? Uh, what?
3: Uh, he said that Canterbury's good looks could make him too likable to be a heel.
2: Mark Canterbury looks like Danny McBride. Maybe Dusty had a thing for Danny McBride. Oh, I love this Eastbound and Down, Daddy. My favorite <laughs> soul, Anna F. of my man Dick Patrick.
3: Very pretty. Very pretty. Uh, they, were, they were with Dub C Dub until 94. Uh, Pierce was forced to unmask uh, on no, WWE Saturday Night after losing to Johnny B. Bad, and then he left
2: after that. Someone in the crowd yelled, It's Kenny Powers!
3: <laughs> Don't take his mask off! He's too pretty!
2: <laughs> Don't unmask him! You'll, you'll turn all the women against us! Hey, it's Enrico <laughs> <laughs> Uh Yeah,
3: so he left in '94. I in '94 and has now resurfaced in the World Wrestling Federation. Vince McMahon is keen on a on a big, menacing-looking guy, and Henry O. Godwin very much fits that mould. So here we are.
2: I need to watch Forbrawl '93 again and watch Henry Godwin take on Ice Train.
3: Careful, you that you're not bedazzled by his good looks, though.
2: Who Ice Trains, I agree. Exactly. <laughs> ice Train's one of the guys that should have made it, but he just didn't. I can't figure out why.
3: There was something missing with Ice Train. I agree though, like there was there was something warm about him, but there was it was just like a tiny little thing missing somewhere. I can't quite put my finger oh, on.
2: He was fun to watch. Go back to watch him and Scott Norton team is fire and ice. But anyway, enough fun stuff. On to Lex Luger. Lex Luger versus Burt <laughs> Centino. So we get this small child in a jumbo-sized T-shirt as Luger's flag bearer. It's like Maggie Simpson wearing that onesie. So Vince calls Luger's performance a Survivor Series, and this is a direct quote, tremendous. That's quite an editorial there. Has Luger done anything tremendous in 94 at all? Besides have a passable match with Diesel in that one role? He... He didn't sell out. (laughs) But he might as well have done. Wait a year. uh, Wait a year.
3: He's... Um no this has been a really unremarkable year for Luger. It's they they've completely given up the ghost on Luger. And you know what? I don't blame them. I really don't. I feel like Lex Luger was given the world and he was given the world on a plate and he looked at them and said it's too it, it's too salty. Take it back. That's what I feel. Like, I feel like Lex Luger had the, the the biggest opportunity within that company.
2: And what you do I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: No, see, i so good. No, and I feel like that. I don't know whether it's a lack of lack of talent, lack of interest, lack of care. He just squandered it. Just squandered
2: it. I think it is lack of interest because you watch this match, and and we get the Luger formula for all enhancement talents. It's when you watch a Diesel squash match from any point this past year here. He annihilates his opponent. Mm-hmm. He goes in there, he just throws him around, rag dolls him. Boot to the face, snake eyes, jackknife. The guy just gets pulverized by this powerful monster, Kevin Nash. Luger gets in there; he's putting him in hammer locks and wrist locks, and it's like you're the muscle-bound Superman. Beat his ass. Mm -hmm. It's just like, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) I mean, I might have to agree that Diesel's a better choice for champion at this point than Luger. If you're going for some sort of Hogan-esque clone, I might go with Nash over Luger just because Nash actually seemed to put some effort in. And this might be this sounds really weird saying because getting you know, the whole knock on Nash that he was somehow lazy or whatever. No, Nash actually could actually squash somebody and make it look like a squash. Like Nash understood what his role was. He was the killer, so he gave you the killer. Luger's the guy who's doing wrist manipulation while she's kind of standing there like not really knowing what to do with his shoulders and he just that's what you got
3: just a guy who didn't quite have the the right mindset and didn't really didn't really embrace what he had going on
2: he doesn't have stinger flair to tell him what to do
3: no i think that's uh, it, it, it's true i think he needs more guidance i think it was if he I don't know how much oh, you say that, but in 93, like, surely he was given every bit of guidance. But I did it with, but in 93, I guess, the vibe I got from watching like, the Lex Express stuff was he couldn't be asked. Like, he just wasn't bothered about all of this. Like, the fact that within, like, a couple of trips on the Lex Express, he decided to bin off going on the actual coach and just flew everywhere. Just, like, gave up on it so soon. And just every time you saw him, he looked fed up. Like, mate, you are being handed, like, the wrestling industry. Embrace mm-hmm. it. Why are you embracing it? I just, I'm so baffled. So this year has been a, a damp squib for Lex Luger. And it's, I think, a lot of it is his making.
2: I was watching a shoot interview yesterday with, with, with Sid Vicious for a future piece for Call to Hawks, minor uh, spoiler there. Oh. And he was talking about how Lex Luger was so unfriendly backstage and was just completely aloof to everybody and everything. And and it's just and also Chris Jericho one of his books talked about the first time he met Luger, his backstage at a show for WCW around ninety six, I guess. And he said hi to him, talking about how cool it'd be to work with him, kinda of like you know, sort of markish. And like he he says Lex kinda of just sneered at him and says, Who are you? Oh
3: God
2: Like this is like Lex seems to be like on his own planet half the time. Just as so many stories I've heard. Oh, man. Like, like, Hogan may be a BSer, but at least he, at least he knew how to engage people.
3: Yeah, he was actually clued into what was happening.
2: Yeah, Hogan had great awareness, which is probably why he made more money than Luger.
3: <laughs> I think that's a, an understatement, but absolutely, yeah. And, the, and this <laughs> again, this match is just an example of that. Like, this is Lex Luger. Like, maybe an opportunity here for Lex Luger to reinvigorate himself, but we're just watching him get at some point it's bounced around by Reno Riggins.
2: Or or Bert Santino in or this instance.
3: Bert Sentino rather than Reno Riggins. And, <laughs> and and you know what? It's it's one of the I get it. Like i on NXT you see a lot of that. You do see like the guys come in and have somewhat prelim matches but the guys get a shine. I'm not against that. I think it's nice to see it. But in this circumstance, like this isn't a guy on the bubble. In WWE, this is a guy who's been flown in just to showcase. So, Luger is a guy that needs the rehabilitation. Luger should have just mowed through him. This should have been a new, invigorated, angry Lex Luger who has had, who could, you could play off the idea that he's had the world in his hands and it's all slipped away. And it's like, oh my god, I'm just annoyed and I need to get, I'm annoyed with everybody and myself. I need to get back. And this could have been the start of something where you just have him mow through Burt. That didn't happen.
2: You can give your opponent your, the enhancement enhance talent, you know, some shine, give him some offense, that's that's fine. But you still have to get your essence across when you make your comeback and, and snuff them out. And Luger's essence at this point is to just be passive. Like, But still, in spite of all that, I realize we've gone on a lot about Luger here. Three interesting things happened during this match. Okay. Okay. One, we learned where the Royal Rumble is going to be in Tampa. Two, Lawler discusses one of the greatest finishes to a football game ever from the day before when Dan Marino's Miami Dolphins beat the New York Jets on one of the coolest bits of um, trickery I've ever seen in my life. It was so simple yet. I could explain it, but you're not a football fan. Unless you're fascinated by it.
3: Well explain it anyway, because there'll be people listening that are football fans.
2: Okay, well you know who Dan Marino is from Ace Ventura, correct? I me? do indeed. Okay. They're playing the New York Jets and they're down by three points late in the game. Now I don't know, I don't know how much American football you've seen, but you know how like are you aware that if you spike the ball as soon as it snaps it, it stops the clock. Uh, yes. Okay, well, so, so Marino's driving the Dolphins down late in the game, trying to get that tying field goal. It's the clock is just ticking, tick, tick, tick. He, he, he's throwing the ball, he's making plays, he's, he, he's, he's getting them in, he's getting them in the position for the for the tie. And, and the Jets are thinking that they're, 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 he's just going for the tie because since sending send up their over overtime. So, after one of his players catches the ball, he's running to the line of scrimmage for the next play. And he's yelling, clock, clock, which is a signal to his teammates he's going to spike the ball and stop the clock. Mm-hmm. So they can regroup, gather their bearings, and then run the next play, whatever that that may be. However, what the Jets didn't know is that Marino was not going to spike the ball, even though he's yelling, clock, clock. He runs up to the line scrimmage, takes the ball. Everyone kind of just stands there like frozen in time, like, why is he spiking it? And he, and he throws a touchdown pass right then and there to a teammate. Just completely <laughs> faked them all out. Amazing. The Jets look like complete dupes on that play. It was wonderful.
3: See, that's <laughs> a good story. And if you're a Super Football fan, that's a great story.
2: Look up clock play on YouTube. Clock played the N in 1994. Amazing. And and Lola had a good go at the Jets for being so stupid on that play. It is wonderful. So that was the second interesting thing, as far because what appealed to me as a football fan. And the third was when Lex Luger went for the torture rack on Bersantino and couldn't get him up the first time around. <laughs> that
3: was just embarrassing.
2: Yeah, this is Lex Luger in a nutshell, this entire match. He, he, he can't do his finish properly, he's boring otherwise, and I'm more interested in other aspects of, outside the match than him, than him himself.
3: It just sucks. The, what I, I would say, okay, one redeeming factor of this match. Uh, okay. Bert's bump off Luger's lariat, off Luger's forearm. Was amazing. Okay. When that's, he ran that, it, fair. I think it was a forearm or a lariat, but but Bert fell like Sonic losing his rings, like <laughs> feet in the air, straight back. It was a good bump.
2: And Bert's no little guy either. He's no, a... he's big boy. He's like a slightly smaller version of a nesting doll, Jeff Cobb.
3: <laughs> Imagine him. Imagine Cobb taking a bump like that.
2: I could, because Jeff Cobb is very athletic. It's true. First, first, round as his body is, he can take some bumps and, and do some flips. He's a force. Certainly is. Speaking of force, we we have our diesel power moment coming up. <laughs> it's mm. the big interview with the leader of the new generation. The man is gonna blast off into the next decade, or leave for WWE in a year and a half, whichever comes first. <laughs> He still has the all-horns version of him at this point, which is not very baby-face-ish. Just... Vince, rawr, rawr, vroom, 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 vroom. Vince yep, gave a him a
3: very cluttered announcement to the ring, I thought. Do
2: you have it verbatim? Because I didn't write it down.
3: Uh, it went along the lines of, ladies and gentlemen, the new Big Pop WWF champion. He's 6'7 seven billion pounds. The leader of the new WWF generation. He is the WWF champion. He is Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Just so many words running on from one another. Didn't keep it simple. Rambled like so desperate to get all those key points in that he repeated one of them. Uh, just, was he salivating? He, 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 do you know what? I got the impression <laughs> that he was he was Priapic at the time of saying it. Like just so excited to talk about how tall and big this man was. <laughs> and uh, it was, it just felt like he was, he, and th- this whole, and this whole interview is, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> this is, this <laughs> is interesting, for lack of a better term.
2: <laughs> it's interesting Kid in grandpa. the way
3: that it's not interesting.
2: What's up? So what was that?
3: It's interesting in the way that it's not interesting.
2: Well, it's true. and it is, But his, his joy is boundless here. <laughs> it's like, and, 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 as mentioned, it, it may have been salivation or possibly some other bodily uh, involuntary response to the excitement he's feeling for Kevin Nash as champion.
3: I feel like when he walked out, he was big daddy cool. But by the time he walked back, he was big.
2: <laughs> Kids, grandpa and I are both in a very sticky, chewy, caramelly nutty. Put it away, boy.
0: <laughs> just just...
2: Just distracted by the uh, by the flavor that he's uh, anticipating.
0: <laughs>
2: so he comes out. He has the corner pyro and the ceiling pyro, which is um that's a lot. I thought you were going to get the rockets red
3: glare as well from Bulldog, because Vince loves to call
2: yeah. it. Yeah, I mean Bulldog should have uh you know been forced to give up but forced to give it up after he played dead for ten minutes of Survivor Series.
3: <laughs> he's still playing dead now.
2: He's st- some say he's still in San Antonio.
3: <laughs>
2: like House at the end of the Spinal Tap concert.
0: <laughs>
2: John. <laughs> if John pulls it off, it'd be my favorite Photoshop ever. Uh, John, we leave it with you, sir. <laughs> Can I Sanford? There'll be no encore.
3: <laughs>
2: so, uh, diesel goes on about sean being a glory hog i, I realized here the camera is looking up at diesel to make him seem even taller
3: oh this is diesel. just blatant not it just so blatant vince is just so excited about a tall man being champion there's there's two there's two kinds of people that get far too giddy about height and that is Vince man and people on tinder
2: there's Vin- the evil knievel
3: <laughs> well i mean he's up for it as well but, like, Vince is just, like, every element, he every chance he gets, he's like, oh, look how tall this guy is. Like, yeah, he's tall. We get it. It's it's fine. <laughs> it's incredible.
2: So this promo from Nash is, I have to say, the big knock on Kevin Nash as, as champion at this point is that he was a, such a bland, boring baby face that, he, that, all, that all of his promos had, like, had this... Very basic pabulum kind of feel to him. He was he was too cheerful. He was too sugary. This promo, like you, you see, Kevin, like I, I'm gonna say there were nerves in his eyes, but you see, Kevin Nash is just uncomfortable giving this kind of dialogue. This isn't who Nash is.
3: It doesn't suit him.
2: No, it doesn't. He's not Hulk Hogan. Nash is a laid back, very dry. I mean very funny man no doubt about it but he like his humor is delivered in a way that is understated and subtle but that and that's the charm of Kevin Nash and Nash here is, is trying to be like like he's wearing a suit that doesn't fit him basically
3: that's a nice way to describe it it's a suit that doesn't fit him
2: yeah it was made for a man who's six foot eight and has bulging biceps and and, and, and lots of spray tan <laughs> and 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 you put it on him and you see his socks because cause the pant legs are too short and it's it's tearing in the back because because he's too tall for it and But yeah, like like it fit the other guy, and he did find that put it on.
3: <laughs> it felt like, yeah, I felt like if this dialogue was 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 delivered in Hulk Hogan's late eighties coke fueled style cadence this actually would have had some true gravitas to it, but just this in kept with Kevin Nash, who is the opposite of that. He's so kicked back and chilled and subtle and sarcastic. It just felt very pedestrian talking about, there was one line that made me chuckle and it was complete. I don't know. I don't think it was deliberate, but maybe he was on a different level to us. I don't know where he was talking about how, oh, you've been up since four in the morning, like, ready for the opportunity uh, and he's walking around New York and everybody's coming up to him and he says, people coming up to me and saying, Hey, big daddy, do the job at the garden. <laughs>
2: hey, Kevin
3: doing the job at the garden.
2: <laughs> you did the opposite of doing the job.
3: Yeah. He's like, Oh, I'll do the opposite of the job. How's that for you?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's still, yo, we just don't know it. <laughs> it
3: was just a, a bit, a bit rambly. Everything he said.
2: Well, I think the first clue that Vince wrote this promo for him is a Kevin Nash, 1994, quoted Jackie Gleason.
3: Yeah, that was it. When he said to quote Jackie Gleason, how sweet it is. That's very Vince. Very Vince. <laughs> it's
2: like... <laughs> next we're gonna do Milton Berle references. How's that? My <laughs> kids will love it. I know that kids so well. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Texaco Star Theater still does good in the ratings.
3: <laughs> Kev's out there going, and to quote "Tidy Tim, I'm going to tiptoe through the
2: tulips. <laughs> job, Kev. He's hip. The kids love him. <laughs> now, Tom, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. From what we've seen in 1994 from Kevin Nash, what did he do at the Royal Rumble? Do you remember?
3: Eliminated lots of people.
2: Yes, seven in a row, in fact. hmm Do you recall what he did at King of the Ring?
3: He had a long match with Bret Hart and, some may say, had Bret Hart beat.
2: Correct. Almost won the world title that night. mm mm-hmm. What did he just do at Survivor Series?
3: Eliminated a lot of people.
2: Yes, he, he almost ran the table on Razor's team. Mm-hmm. While well, while well, all the team stood on the apron and cheered. Now, with all that in mind, it's pretty apparent that Kevin Nash is an un- is a killing machine on the level of the Undertaker. Is that fair to say?
3: Very fair to say.
2: Okay, then why is he admitting that if Backlund had got the chicken wing on him, that he might have been in trouble?
3: It's ridiculous. It's it's he should he should never be he should never even insinuate it like, okay I get it. You don't want to bury the chicken wing. Just don't say
2: mm. it. It's like, like, well, if Bob had gotten a hold on me, uh, I might have been in trouble. I will admit that it's like you're seven feet tall, 330 pounds. You killed him in eight seconds. (laughs) It was
3: it was a line that just didn't suit the situation.
2: And he's talking about how he wants to be a fighting champion in Brett's mold. It's like, you should kind of stand alone, shouldn't you? I mean, I realize you they are building something with him, and Brett, I get that, but there's got to be a better way to phrase all this stuff.
3: It's just the fact that we're just suddenly accepting, oh, he's a good guy now. Like the diesel a week ago wouldn't have thought like this. The diesel a week ago would have gone, "Backland, you idiot. You ain't getting anything on me." And Brett, he was weak, I'm the best. That would have been so much better.
2: He should still have some snarling Neanderthal qualities instead of all of a sudden being Mister Articulate. Yeah,
3: he needed to have an edge to him, but they were—they were just, as you say, just so desperate to have that saccharine top-level guy, that that Hogan for the nineties. That, that it, unfortunately, like they did—that was what they did with Luger. They—they they put him in Hogan's suit didn't work and they're just doing it with with diesel it's it's a poison chalice at this point point you know, it's like if you just let these guys be and just trust their process you might make a million times more money but that's not going to happen and this is a bit of an issue that comes about today in the sense that you don't trust the guys in the locker room to make their own calls and to be who they are you have to still have control of everything that comes out of their mouths, but despite despite the fact, despite the fact that the proof is so in the pudding, that the greatest stars in wrestling are the ones that didn't have lines written for them, that that, that didn't have every step choreographed for them, the ones that went away and did their own thing, that that controlled their own narrative, the, they're the ones that actually became big stars in the business. Maybe the the issue here. Is that they they became such big stars that they went and did something else so vince is is upset with that. I'm thinking more Vince of twenty twenty rather than vince of ninety four um but with the idea that if they if he gives them too much slack on the leash that they're going to be too good and they're going to leave him, so whether it's that controlling element of them but either way it's it's it, we're going too deep into the weeds here I think that um I think I think Nash. If Nash had just been left to be Nash, a little bit more, maybe without the backstage dickery, could have made them a lot of money. <laughs> could have brought could have brought in the attitude era years before.
2: Let's just be happy that Vince doesn't have control of MJF. Oh god, could you imagine? Because uh, MJF might have finished the promo on Wednesday by saying, "On lives the new generation of the World Wrestling Federation." Yeah! yeah, like Nash did. <laughs> make, make sure you hit the yeah really hard, there, Kev. <laughs> it's just, that was the che- in the words of the angry video game. There, that was the cherry on top of the diarrhea shake. <laughs>
3: That's a great quote.
2: <laughs> it was uh, that was not Kevin Nash's finest promo by any means.
3: No, it was not his finest hour. To
2: put it. No, and and it's um, unfortunately they're not gonna. They're not going to help Kevin find his voice much during this reign, and it's sad to say. Mm. But, you know, you uh, you report yourself. Yes. Next week's episode of Raw, Jeff Jarrett versus the British Bulldog in a match that is actually oddly significant. Oh? A match that will prove historic and uh, with a little bit of hindsight because it may feature somebody's first appearance with the company.
3: Oh,
2: well, that's a teaser. Yeah, they've, uh-huh. they've... we see somebody come in that may be a little bit polarizing in this, in this present day, but it's ultimately a very important part of WBF history. Until yeah. then, we have Heavenly Bodies versus Gary Scott and Buck Quartermain. You were going to say something?
3: No, no, I was, uh, I was, I was intrigued. I'm intrigued for next week because I have no idea what
2: this is going to lead to. Oh, you will see the... The minute you see him, you'll know. Okay. So we got Heavenly Bodies versus Gary Scott and Buck Quartermain in the 950 death slot. Buck's a Florida mainstay who actually did some appearances for TNA in 2005, including a few pay-per-view dark matches. He's and this quite
3: significant, course... yeah. He's, he's quite prolific in
2: this particular role. Yeah, Buck had a pretty good... Uh... Had a pretty decent career for an enhancement guy, all things considered.
3: And it's quite nice in this match. He's in there with the guy that trained him Dr. Tom? Jimmy Del Rey. Oh,
2: I was. and was, it was one or the other.
3: Trained by the Gigolo in 91.
2: How about that?
3: Following a, a run in the Canadian Football League.
2: I assume it was probably the bodies that gave him the ride up. <laughs> I imagine it probably was. It certainly would have been Italian Stallion. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little bit different. A little bit different so Backlund arrives during the match this match is just a backdrop for Backlund to rant and rave on commentary he vows to overcome he vows to recover from the adversity and he and he begins by no selling all of Walter's jokes completely <laughs> one thing I love about Bob so much is that he never seemed to like interact with people everyone was just like it noi- was like noisy background to him that he kind of just like acknowledged with, like a look and then he'd look away It's hard to imagine Bob sitting there like having like a real conversation with somebody like a back and forth.
3: It's uh, it's it's interesting and I like it because there is there is this this weird glint in him at the moment where I I almost feel intimidated by the way that he is here. There is an eerie calmness to Backlund Mm -hmm. despite the fact that he just lost the WWF title in quick order in the grand scheme of things like there's an oh. eeriness to him that I'm very intrigued by
2: well he's, he's still very perturbed by the whole thing obviously I, I, I did love in the Observer when Meltzer caught, called him based on his bow tie and suit, his nutty professor look as I'm picturing Bob back and going Glivan
3: <laughs> really
2: well, I mean I kind of see it, but he, I mean he doesn't have the bowl cut or the glasses to beat him to be the Nutty Professor, but yet... I can still kind of see it, though. Okay. I think it's more Howdy Doody meets Pee Wee Herman, but that's beside (laughs) the point. Either way, it's a strong look. It is. So, uh... Bacchus being humble got him nowhere, so he changed. He's gonna bring morality back to the world. He says, Diesel is a Neanderthal. (laughs) And And he says, in this modern world, and this is a borderline quote here. Children are throwing people out of windows. Mothers are killing their children. <laughs> he says this. It's a great line. Bob Backlund's the most interesting announcer this company's ever had. <laughs>
3: oh, I, if, we, if we were still doing the, uh, the, the scale, he would have shot up there in this short appearance.
2: <laughs> it would have exploded. <laughs> <laughs> if Bob Backlund had a pamphlet, I'd read it. <laughs> I'm hoping this is just a work. I'm hoping he doesn't actually have these thoughts.
3: Well, I just don't know. I just know I find him very intimidating.
2: Meanwhile, in the background, the bodies are hitting these cool tandem moves on poor Gary Scott, including Pritchard suplexing Delray onto him via an assisted moonsault, which is a pretty cool-looking move. That's he, compares the, he did compare his loss to Diesel to a, a crisis. He used the word crisis. The body's finished with a Vegematic while Backlund is... Backlund forms us he has studied Diesel. He knows his mother's name. He knows his birthday. (laughs) These are important things to know when when you're scouting someone. Well,
3: I feel like if you know the birthday of the guy's mom, you can just shout, oh, look out, it's May the 9th. And you go, what? How did you... And then you've got the mental game. You've got the mental high ground immediately.
2: Oh, for sure he's like an assassin.
3: Yeah, Definitely. (laughs)
2: <laughs> he's like Leon the professional <laughs> so the promotional consideration ad cuts Bob off which is very very rude even though it is for the raw video game so then we come back to uh, them uh, all the guys at the desk and Vince forces back on the watch that match footage of him losing the diesel again which is just ignorant and we call the man was traumatized by his loss don't rub it in his face but then Backlund, in a moment that I'm sad, never came to pass. He vows to procure the chicken wing on Vince.
3: Oh, now that is a match I'd like to see. Thank you, please. Because they do this. They they like, they seem to have fun teasing stuff with Backland that they're not going to pay off. Like Backlund and Savage had a little thing very briefly, and then Savage left.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: They just like teasing mm-hmm. stuff that's not going to
2: happen. Mm. So... uh there is a chicken wing cock tease joke in here somewhere but I'm not gonna make it
3: <laughs>
2: get it cause they're poultry puns <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with ya <laughs> and well we're still very crestfallen by Backlund's title loss after just three measly days and I think it's time for our good friend Strummerwitz to really sum up the sadness we're feeling for Backlund's immense loss
4: goodbye title reign Though we hardly saw you at all You had a way of charming us With words we never heard Funny words like Vivian, We wondered if you were insane If your bump caught at its fill And you were bound for the dream And it seems this transitional rain Was like a candle in the wind Never had a chance to shine Diesel did you in, and I would have liked to have seen it, it lasted just three days. I missed it cause I'm a lamp fan. Also missed the replay, oh, uh-oh. Oh, uh-oh. Mr. Backlund Rose. Likely. Star in 94, battling the whole new generation. Got the chicken wing in store. And then you got the shot, the shot. On a cold November Eve, procured the old on to bread, giving us a champion witch, I believe. And it seems it's transitional rain it's like a candle in the wind, never had the chance to shine. Diesel, did you win and I would have liked to have seen it, it lasted just three days. I missed it cause I'm a labs fan, also missed the replay. <laughs> Goodbye tidal rain, though we hardly Saw you and all, you had a way of charming us With words we never heard Funny was like plebeian We wondered if you were insane If your bump card had its fill And you were bound for the train And it seems this transitional or like a candle in the wind Never had a chance to shine these did. did you win and I would have liked to see it. It lasted just three days. I missed it cause I'm a labs fan Awesome mystery replay na, 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 na. I missed it cause I'm a lamb fan Awesome mystery replay oh.
3: I grew up with Elton John, not actually with him but his music playing in our house and
2: mm.
3: I think uh, Stromowitz did Reg Dwight justice there it was stunning <laughs> a
2: little bit of Philadelphia freedom from a kid from Michigan
3: oh love it love it thank you Stromowitz at uh, S SZUBA 4 yes look at that what a guy hey. thank you Stromowitz
2: uh, so on next week's show we have uh, Jack Jarrett versus Bulldog as noted earlier we have the encore presentation of Survivor Series tomorrow night. Save your money. And we close with just this slow mo shot of Diesel posing before the crowd because the king is dead. Long live the king.
3: <laughs>
2: just keep on.
3: Keep it on. This is it.
2: Get used to him holding that bell. You're going to see it for the next year.
3: <laughs> this year he's the leader of the new generation. So I'm not surprised.
2: <laughs> And he's on a Pied Piper's way into Atlanta in about wow. uh, eighteen months. Wow, gosh,
3: this is the this is actually the beginning of the new generation era proper, isn't it? This feels like a, a real watershed moment in our timeline. Yeah,
2: that. it is because this is a this is a really forcible attempt to get somebody over as the top guy, somewhat out of nowhere, as we as we've said, and they stick with him. Ninety five is defined by Diesel's reign which was a flop, and you can't really say it was all his fault because he wasn't put in the best position to succeed given his some of his opponents that he had, some of the stories he was in, the the dearth of talent on the roster as a whole, the show as a whole, really began to fall apart. And uh, unfortunately, the guy who's holding the belt at the time is, is the one holding the bag. And Nash gets blamed for a lot of it, which I feel is very unfair.
3: Well, we are going to be dissecting this entire run uh, as it plays out on monday night raw week by week as we have been doing and i'm intrigued to see sort of how the percentage falls as to who was to blame for this how much of this was down to uh, big daddy cool how much of this was down uh, to the company we will find out
2: i know it's fun to blame the click for everything because they may have politic but they can't work miracles can they
3: absolutely not no and uh, until the next time we wave our magic wand and work a miracle on your podcast feed he is at jrh writing on twitter i am at tom campbell on twitter together we are at cultaholic on twitter we will speak to you next week don't forget to join us oh! <laughs> that wasn't covid Jimmy just breathing
0: too heavy <laughs> <laughs>